Father, we come before you because we need to be before you. We need to be here. We need to hear your word. We need to worship you. Lord, we ask that you would come and through your Holy Spirit that you would teach us and bless us and guide us. In your name, we commit this time to you, Jesus, as we continue to worship you. Amen. You know, we live in a world full of reasons to be annoyed and irritated. The sound of a jackhammer on your street at 6.30 on a Sunday morning is not often met with joy because you wanted to sleep in. The metallic screeching of car brakes or fingernails scratching a blackboard can create shivers of irritation. I can see some of your reactions. It's grating on your nerves just to think about it. Among your most irritating sounds, your list of most irritating sounds, where would you place a whiny two-year-old? Or that unrelenting baby who keeps crying? Most of us have experienced those furtive glances we share between one another when we hear a baby not just crying, but screaming, especially if you're on an airplane. We silently pray that the parents would have wisdom to quiet their child and that the child to find peace and calm down. Well, imagine not just one baby, but two crying, fussing, upset. How about 10 babies? One starts to cry and suddenly all the rest join in the choir of crying. Not Fred's choir, this is a baby's choir of crying. Now I can't be sure and perhaps those of you who are parents can help me later, but I think there must be some sort of baby peer pressure. If he's crying, I should cry too. Let's all cry. And suddenly everyone is crying, but for different reasons, including those who just happen to be there, innocent bystanders. Now, if you're unaccustomed to praying, if you just don't pray, then a crying baby is a good place to start a good reason to start praying. Now, in the story recounted in Luke 18, verses 15 to 17, and I invite you to turn to that passage in the Pew Bible or on your phone or your tablet, or perhaps you've memorized those verses. Good for you if you have. In this story, the disciples found themselves dealing with babies, with their parents, and with Jesus. And it ends unexpectedly with Jesus describing the type of person who can enter the kingdom of God. It's a story also found in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 19 and the Gospel of Mark in chapter 10. So it must be pretty important if God included it three times throughout his Gospels. And since it's a short passage, let's read it all in one go. It says in verse 15 of Luke 18, now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. 
So this story begins with the arrival of children. Now, they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. Matthew amplifies this text a little bit by saying, then the children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. That's why they were coming. I want you to imagine the day, if you can. Just join me in your imaginations. Once again, Jesus has drawn a crowd. Wherever he goes, he draws a crowd. He's teaching in parables, he's teaching in stories, he's interacting with people, he's healing some, he's correcting others, and the disciples are listening, and maybe even the disciples are offering some sort of crowd control to keep people back from pressing too close to Jesus. Everyone wanted to see Jesus. They were all there to see him, to hear him. And everyone wanted something from the Lord. And then it happens. At first, one of the disciples hears a faint cry. And then as the other disciples turn, they can now see one, two, more. There's parents all coming with their kids. It's the arrival of the parents and the babies. Now this was to be expected, that people would bring their young ones, their babies, their toddlers with them when they went out to see Jesus. It's normal for some to want Jesus to bless their children. Earlier in the Gospel of Luke in chapter nine, Jesus had already taken a child and placed him at his side and taught the disciples a lesson about who is the greatest and most important. Back in Luke 9, this is what happened. An argument arose among among the disciples as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, he took a child, put him beside him, and said to them, whoever receives this child, he's got beside him, in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you, this child, is the one who is great. So children being around Jesus was not unusual. But on this day, for some reason, the text does not tell us, the disciples responded in a harsh manner to the presence of both parents and their children. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. That is, they rebuked the parents. What was going on that caused the disciples to react so strongly here in the rest of verse 15? Let's again try and put ourselves in this situation. The text doesn't tell us, doesn't describe for us what was going on. It just gives us the fact of what happened. You know, perhaps it was a very trying day for the disciples. And they were at their limits. Perhaps they were tired, hungry, annoyed at the never-ending crowds that kept coming every day, who were always in need. We've all suffered exhausting days when we react in ways that we don't normally, but react because we're angry, we're tired, we're frustrated. Perhaps this was the reason for their response to those who brought their babies to Jesus. They could have been thinking, you know, isn't it enough that people with real physical and health and spiritual needs, they're the priority? Why are you even bringing your children here? 
Can't you see Jesus is busy enough without you coming with your kids? That could have happened. Or maybe Jesus was really connecting with people at this time. Maybe beyond the miracles, people were responding to his words. Perhaps people were actually coming and saying, I want to follow you, Lord. And in the middle of all this, these interruptions happen. The last thing he would want are noisy distractions and irritations. Maybe some of the children were tired and restless. Maybe they're running around, getting into trouble, bothering people. Who knows? Maybe the babies were crying and screaming, fussing, unsettled. Or perhaps some of the parents were approaching Jesus with their child and trying to edge forward and push their child out for Jesus to touch him. It was too much for the disciples. Whatever was happening, the disciples responded by rebuking the parents and perhaps even some of the children if they were being bothersome. Maybe with me, you can almost picture the exasperation the disciples were facing. The noise, the confusion, the interruptions, the intrusions was becoming too much. So they reprimanded the parents. That is, the disciples sharply criticized parents for bringing even their infants for Jesus to touch. Perhaps you can hear the disciples. Perhaps they were saying, hey, it's not a good time right now. Come back another day. Can't you see the people around us who have all these needs? People who need to be healed, people who are hurting. Why are you coming with your children? Don't crowd the rabbi. Get back. Go home. Jesus has no time for you right now. Can't you see how busy he is? He has more important things to do than to hold your baby. That's pretty harsh. In their minds of the disciples, perhaps they were thinking that they were restoring order. Perhaps they thought they were protecting Jesus from all these intrusions. But this is not how Jesus reacts in verse 16. But Jesus called them, the disciples, to him saying, let the children come. Let them come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. The first reaction of Jesus was directed at his disciples who were trying to push back the parents. Now, interestingly, in Mark's account of this very same event, he adds something important. He says, when Jesus saw it, when he saw the disciples rebuking the parents, he was indignant. Not a word we use very much in English language. I can't recall the last time I said to somebody, I'm indignant. They would look at me like, okay, is there a medication for that, uh, indignant? What does that word mean? When Jesus looked up and saw his disciples rebuking the parents, he was upset. Indignant means when a person is exasperated by unworthy or unjust treatment, or simply by a mean action. You're being mean. It's a strong reaction. Jesus was not pleased with his disciples, harsh and uncaring response to the children being brought to him. You see, the disciples were really not the ones to decide who gets to see Jesus and who doesn't. That wasn't their job. And even if their intentions were noble and good, it was up to Jesus to decide who comes and sees him. 
In any case, they're responding in ways that were not acceptable to Jesus because they were not seeing in the way that Jesus saw the situation. They were seeing things differently than what he did. Whereas the disciples saw the babies and children intruding, Jesus saw faith of parents. So he called the disciples to himself. Now notice what Jesus didn't do. He didn't cry out, hey, hey, stop doing that. Let the kids through. Come on, what are you doing? He didn't do that. He called the disciples to himself. Come here, quietly. The crowd didn't hear this. The disciples did. And he's told them three things in verse 16. He said, let the children come. Don't, don't hinder them. And for to, to such as these belongs the kingdom of God. Unlike the disciples, Jesus wanted the parents to bring their kids. He wanted them to come. And the disciples were commanded not to hinder them. This means not to prevent, stop, block, intercept, discourage those who desire to come to be with Jesus. At this moment, this was not their responsibility. Instead, so the disciples were to be like their master, like Jesus, and let the children come and place no obstacles before them. Now, why was Jesus so direct with his instructions? You see, the reason Jesus provided to his disciples was the simple phrase, to such belongs the kingdom of God. That's why you shouldn't hinder the kids. That's why you should let them through to see me. Now, what does this mean? What did Jesus mean? To whom does he refer when he says to such belongs? Was it the children? Some have misread this passage to see that the children belong to the kingdom. But this misses the point that Jesus wants to make. He was not referring just to the children or babies. He's referring to the type of person who can belong to God's kingdom. He was trying to explain the type of person who will enter the kingdom of God. Now, tragically, and I mean this seriously, tragically, not everyone can belong or be part of God's kingdom. That's a fact of reality. Let me say this again. It is a tragedy bearing eternal consequences that not everyone can belong to God's kingdom. Now, why would I say this? Because Jesus finishes explaining the type of person who can enter the kingdom. And fortunately, Jesus doesn't end at verse 16. He goes on to verse 17 and completes his explanation of who exactly can belong. And this is important, lest someone here or watching online or you talk to think that they are in the kingdom already, but in reality, they're still outside, trying to peer in before the door shuts and they're left outside. Unfortunately, a lot of people in the world, they're close, they're really close to the kingdom, but they never actually got in. They didn't enter that doorway, but they thought they were okay. And Jesus says, no, there's a certain type that has to be uh, one who belongs to the kingdom. And this is in his final, final verse, in verse 17. 
He says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. The NIV offers it in a slightly different way. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Truly I say to you, truly I tell you, means this is something important. This is serious. Pay attention, take note. If you're reading the Gospels and you read Jesus saying, truly I say to you, okay, if you're taking notes like a good student, pay attention to this, because this is an important thing that he is saying. And in this case, he's saying that no one can receive that is possess or be part of or belong to God's kingdom unless they come to the kingdom like a small child. No one can enter the kingdom unless they are like a child. So does Jesus mean that uh, we need to become children again? That we need to uh, go back to kindergarten? Well, not exactly. Jesus is now expanding his teaching far beyond the issue of a parent's desire to bring their children to be blessed by Jesus. He's moving the disciples and us beyond the disciples' hurtful response to those who come to the Lord. Whoever does not receive refers not just to children, but to everyone. The kingdom cannot be received or entered through human effort. The kingdom is to be received as a gift, not won, not earned. It can only be entered by those who know they're helpless, without claim, without merit. And who is like that in this story? The immediate example of helpless people are the babies. They had no choice to come to Jesus. Their parents brought them. They're the helpless ones. And Jesus says, you must be like them in their helpless state in order to enter God's kingdom. The phrase, like a child, expresses and reflects a child's total dependence, their trusting natures, frank openness, their honesty, their sincerity and innocence. That's the type of person who enters the kingdom of God. That is so different from how our society operates today. If you are uh, dependent, overly trusting, totally innocent, you're taken advantage of. You're considered a fool. You're an easy mark. What's your phone number? I'll give you a phone call. Because uh, you can be taken. But in the kingdom of God, this is the attitude that's expected. Jesus welcomes the children and their parents and everyone else who desires to come to him. And in the process, he teaches us that no one can enter God's kingdom without coming with a contrite and humble heart. Perhaps now we can better understand why Jesus was so indignant with his disciples' harsh response. They were preventing people and their children, in this case, parents, from expressing their faith and trust in Jesus. Parents desiring Jesus to bless their children may well have been the first steps for their parents to come and follow Jesus. They may have missed the first start. We know that there are... are, are, uh, people's faith stories, which begin with, I took my young child to church because I wanted the child to go to junior church, go to Sunday class. I wanted to learn some things about values. 
But I myself, it's not important to me, it's for the child. Over the course of the time the parent comes to the church, they meet Jesus and God convicts them and they become a follower. All because it began with their child who's over here in one of the Sunday school classes. That's why junior church is so important. It brings not just the child, but the person who brought the child may stay and hear the gospel. I, I know of, of uh, Muslim parents who take their children to Sunday school, leave them and then they leave. Why? Because it's a good foundation for them. It sounds counterintuitive, but God uses many, many ways to draw people to himself. Now, earlier in Luke 17, the Pharisees had asked Jesus when the kingdom of God would arrive. Hey, Jesus, you talk about the kingdom of God. Where is it? When's it going to arrive? Are you going to be the one to bring it in? They're asking all these questions. And Jesus answered in this way. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look here or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Huh. Okay. What does that mean? Now, the subject of God's kingdom has filled many, many books. There are many tomes, multi-volume tomes, that talk about the kingdom of God, theologically. But essentially... God's kingdom is wherever God's will is done. This is why the kingdom is in the midst of you. It's not a place. Literally, the kingdom is in you, and you are in his kingdom because his will is in you. When God's will is in you, then so is his kingdom. And Jesus personified this perfectly. Can you recall in John 14 when Philip said to Jesus, show us the Father, that's enough for us, just you know, show us the Father and we'll be okay, Lord. And Jesus said, you don't get it yet. When you see me, you see the Father. Why? Because the Father's will is perfectly expressed through me. You're seeing the Father's will demonstrated and lived out before you. The works, the miracles, the words even the cross and the resurrection. You're seeing the Father because he's spirit, but you're seeing him in me. When the disciples told, when Jesus told his disciples that one must possess childlike characteristics to enter the kingdom, it means that someone must move from one place to another. If you're not in the kingdom, you have to enter it. By coming to Jesus in faith and dependence, just like a child, you are relocated from one kingdom to another. And this is moving from serving your will to serving the Father's will. And this is something that only God can do in you through Christ. Now the disciples' annoyance at the arrival of children to be blessed by Jesus has ended up by Jesus explaining the type of person who can receive the kingdom of God. And ironically, this was the very thing the disciples were trying to prevent. Now here's where Luke's story ends. The end, he says a statement, he moves on to the rich man who wouldn't give up his riches to follow Christ. But Mark and Matthew add another sentence. 
they add Jesus' second reaction to the event. Mark writes in 10 to 16, and he took them, Jesus now, after saying his disciples, took them in his hands, arms, and he blessed them, laying hands on them. Remember now when Jesus, well, just remember who Jesus is. He's the word of God. He's the Messiah. He's the one who completely fulfilled everything the Father had set for him to do. And despite all the busy demands around him on that day, the crushing needs of those who are spiritually in, in poverty, maybe demon-possessed people, maybe people who physically had ailments you could see, leprosy, blindness. Jesus made time to hold these children and to bless them. We should not miss this critical point. As the disciples and the parents and the crowd looked on, Jesus elevated the babies and the children by giving them his attention. The Messiah blessed each child, and God the Father always has time for children, just as he has time for you. He's never, never too busy for us. Now, it can be easy to react the way the, way the disciples did to the needs of children, to try and shut things down, to hinder the parents from bothering Jesus with their children. After all, babies and children require a lot of time and a lot of attention, a lot of demands. In these moments of exasperation, remember how Jesus responded. He was ready to care and to bless. Now Matthew 19, the other account, provides the very last action that Jesus did in this story. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Jesus completed his time with the children and the crowds, and he departed. The will of the Father through Jesus is centered on all people, and Jesus departed to continue his work of salvation, leaving the babies and the children in the care of their parents. I wonder how many of those children grew up and followed the resurrected Jesus. Imagine the dinner table, family time, and one of the parents goes over to the child who's now an adult and says, you know, when you were really young, the Messiah held you in your, in your arms, in his arms and blessed you. How's that for a testimony? Last week, Jonathan dedicated a child. And before that, Pastor Brent. Imagine being dedicated by Jesus himself. Parents rushed to give their child to Jesus. Jesus took, blessed, and prayed for. What did he pray for? perhaps for them to follow him, and some undoubtedly did. Know that today Jesus still holds us, and he's still concerned for children. But in this case, he calls us to share the same level of love and care that we should extend his blessings to those who are so very young. Now today marks the official beginning of junior church. It's been going on all summer. People have faithfully served the children. And today we've just marked this as a, as a fall start with the many volunteers, which I'm amazed at how many people step forward to participate in blessing children. And in a small way, this is part of our desire to obey the command Jesus gave his disciples. Let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Each week, and it should grow as time goes on, 
we see children eagerly dash off to their classes, where the Spirit of God, through their teachers and helpers, teach and share with them Jesus and the ways of God's kingdom. It is our fervent prayer and hope that these young ones will come to believe and follow Christ as they mature. But in days we live in right now, this is becoming more challenging. There are many in the world, whether they don't know it or not, who are hindering children coming and being blessed by Jesus. I don't need to explain the details. If you're a parent and your kids go to school, you know what's going on in the schools, what we see on society, on social media. There are many, many distractions and things that push people away from Christ, especially vulnerable children who are pushed away, hindered, obstacles placed in their path to come. So I want us to pray for children that the obstacles they face would not hinder them in coming to Christ. I want us to be thankful for all you parents who bring your kids here Sunday after Sunday to go to junior church. And not just the junior church kids. There are kids here who can't go there anymore. I'm 13, all right. I don't go to junior church anymore. I am becoming a teenager. And you're sitting here in the pew. You come every week, thank you. Thank you for coming with your mom, your dad. Thank you for being here. Because this is the place where we worship God together. This is a place where you learn what it means to be an adult Christian, a man or woman of God. You're not gonna get it outside. With other believers, this is where you begin to go from being a child in junior church to being a young adult who now follows Christ because you've chosen to do it. It's not your parents' faith anymore, it's yours. So I commend you, young people who come to church, maybe on a Sunday morning you're going, I don't wanna go today, I wanna sleep in. I had a rough Saturday. And your parents say, in the car, and you go. Thank you. God notices. God calls you and he blesses you. I want us to be thankful for the children who are so open and curious in their young hearts to learn about God. I want us to be thankful for the teachers and helpers who serve the young ones and want us to, to bless them. And I want us to thank our Lord for welcoming all who want to come to him in humility, trusting like innocent children. And as I conclude, I want to ask a few questions. Are you prepared this day to encourage our children and youth in the ways of God's kingdom by praying for them, by modeling faith for them? It's important, by modeling faith for them, by being here with your children. Your modeling church is important. It's part of our routine. Things are set aside for this priority. And I know families in the past who uh, know Saturday morning, Sunday morning, we're busy. Sunday morning is Costco. We're going to go to Costco. We'll skip church this Sunday because it's not that important. What is a child learning? Ch church is optional. Being with God's people is, if, it, if it's a benefit to me, I'll show up. If not, I'll do something else. Um, not a very good model, necessarily. So we want to model to our children what it means to follow Christ. We also want to help 
to seek to remove obstacles that may hinder them. And that can be as simple as asking questions. What did you learn in school today? What is the teacher saying? What are your friends saying? What are you looking at social media? And then answering their questions by asking questions. I remember when Harry Potter came out, that book series, and a lot of Christians were upset. This is about magic. It's not set in a fictitious world. It's a real world thing. I don't want our kids to read it. And I thought, they're going to read it anyway. So why not read it with them? And explain to them each portion and say, this is what the story says, but how do we as followers of Christ live in these situations? You begin to teach children how to think for themselves, to ask questions, not just to accept. Anyway, now I'm really preaching, aren't I? This is uh, you know, unusual for me. Are you also ready yourselves to receive and enter the kingdom of God with childlike faith and trust? Maybe you're already there. But have you found lately that this childlike faith that you used to have has become a bit hardened by the struggles and challenges of becoming adults? School, university, family, work, it gets really busy. Maybe the innocent wonder of knowing Christ has been replaced by duty. I gotta be there by total rational thought. This doesn't make sense there for me, it isn't. That happens. If you find yourself growing cynical, tired, overwhelmed by life, here's my suggestion for you today. Find a quiet place this afternoon, away from the kids, away from the spouse, away from things, and let Jesus hold you. Let him hold you and just rest in his arms like a child. If you've got to stand there and do this, then that's, if it works for you, do that. But give him time to come and sit with you. Don't, don't ask him anything. No requests. Just say, Lord, come, and would you please just hold me because I want to come to you like an innocent child. And pour your heart out to him. And if needed, confess to him your non-Christ or childlike faith. Jesus is waiting for us all, not just the children. He's waiting for each one of us, whether we follow him or not, to come and to sit with him and let him hold us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you. You indeed are the great shepherd. You know us so well, Lord. You know us better than we know ourselves. You know what's going on inside us right now, Lord. You know our thoughts, our emotions. You know everything. Nothing is hidden from your light. Lord, we want to come to you. We want to place ourselves in your hands like an innocent, trusting child. We want to look up into your eyes, Lord, and just say, we love you. We want to be with you. Just hold me, Lord, for a while, that your strength may flow through me again that I might be ready to walk with you in this week that comes ahead of us. Lord, thank you for uh, the word, and thank you, Lord, as we come and sing a worship song before we close. In your name, Jesus, amen.